This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. What a, what a beautiful song and that idea of spirit lead me. And, and how do we, in this space, thinking about pulling this series together on that we're better together, how, how do we welcome that spirit in? I think so much of it is, is how do we create new spirit in rooms, new spirit in community, new spirit in these different parts, allowing that to come in and, and, and start to change our lives, start to shift our lives. I, I think Christianity has been around so long that we've forgotten that it's actually a little bit revolutionary. That there's ideas and concepts in this that, that we just sort of, they're so normal now. But as a former history teacher, you look back on them and you realize, wow, that was incredible what was being said, what was being done, and, and how this movement grew. I want to start out by showing you this, this beautiful, beautiful piece. This is what someone thought about Christians. This is back from about 100 AD, about 70 years after Christ died. Christians are indistinguishable by others, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet, this is the beautiful line, and yet there's something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. As though they were only passing through. I love that line, that, that peace being sort of, and Christ talks about it, being in the world but not of the world. Engaging fully in all the challenges of life, all the challenges of community, all the challenges, and at the same time holding on to a greater sense of peace and love and hope. So much part of why I think the message grew and grew the way that it did. And we can see that reflected in, in parts of the, of the word. And, and here's one for those of you following along at home. This is from Galatians 3. A beautiful line here from Galatians 3. And here is Paul. And Paul was one of the people who kind of started to organize Christians after, after Christ had died. And these were his words. You are all sons and daughters of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed themselves with Christ. And these are the key lines. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Take a look again at, that, at the beauty of that line. You know, the incredible power in there. So in Christ, you are all, all children of God, have clothed yourself. In other words, you've put on a new identity. And it goes on to use these words. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one. Let's say that one word together. You are all one. one. You're all one. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's a beautiful line in there, folks, and it's, it's, it's what, what he's doing. And, and today, maybe that language doesn't quite make sense, but he was taking some of the big divisions at that time 
And, and you would have had in the room people divided along these lines. And here you have Paul saying, no, actually, we're all one. There's a unity here. And when we can start to experience that, what we start to experience is a new will in the room. Think back, folks. Put yourself in a place where you've been in a meeting or at a dinner table or at you pick it, right? Where you didn't have that feeling of all being one. I'm thinking of somebody wearing a Dallas Cowboys jersey to the Eagles game today. Not that feeling of oneness. And here is something where it's trying to pull us into this higher and much richer and deeper identity. A new will. And it's, it's interesting, when that will starts going, and when we start understanding that we truly are better together, like literally, ontologically, we are better together. We start understanding that, boy, things do start to shift. And a new will starts to appear either in our families, in our communities, in different kinds of rooms. I, I think about a, you know, a, a compliment New Church Live got from someone, and they, were, they, just, they gave this compliment a couple of times, just again a few weeks ago. They were all excited. They said, Chuck, I'm so glad when I come here because you have a happy congregation. Most congregations aren't happy today. And I thought how nice that is, you know, that, that when we do and we try to get to experience that new will, that, that there is just this feeling of happiness. And this feeling of a new will, that there's something new afoot. Folks, just think of it this way. For those of us who are a little bit older, imagine, do you remember back when you had your, your you know, like your fifth high school reunion? Remember that? And trying to look just so and act just so and say things just so? What happens? What's the change by the time you hit your 40th reunion? What happens? Nobody cares. Nobody actually rented a fancy car to get there. Nobody cares anymore. I think that's because that's where that oneness starts to shift. We, we, we stop the comparison trap and we, we start just working more and more at connecting one with another. Now the question becomes, again, like, like with that new will in the room and that new will that I think God is constantly calling us to, constantly calling us out of our old will, constantly calling us into a new will. How do we get there? Like, how do we do that? And, and part of that is, is, is our own individual work, and part of that is work we do out there in community. I want to say, I think, I think this is part of the challenge. I think the challenge is we have two competing commitments. I'm going to have you say the I word there. First off, there's what? I. What I want. What I want is my alone time. What I want is rest. What I want is entertainment. What I want is what I think I deserve. How many of us can identify with that, <laughs> right? That's what I want. I think that's probably what most of us want. But then we have this. I'm going to have you say the last three words, but say them really loud, all right? That's up against the other competing commitment of what? What we want more. So here's what I want. And here's what I sense we want more. And a lot of days I feel sort of stuck in between. I think what we want more of is community. What do you think? Yes? Yeah. You know, we want more community. I think we want more non-iPhone, non-screen connection. Can I get a yes on that one? Yes. yes. 
Yes, you know, I, I, weekly somebody says, Chuck, I was eating dinner and the table beside me, they're all on their phones, I can't stand that. That's that connection piece. I think what we want more is purpose, is meaning. We're not standing outside of our lives anymore looking in. But we've come to the core, the teleos, the purpose of what we want. And I think we all want to serve. We all want to serve. This is not easy to do in the culture we live in. Could I get an amen on that? <laughs> this, is, this is hard to do. This is a challenge because we clearly do have a culture that tends to promote all this. And, and yet I feel like there's this yearning that I hear from people who want community, connection, purpose, and a place to serve. Those competing commitments. And it's important to know that life actually will ask us to shift from the left one to the right one. Here's an example. Imagine a lovely newly married couple. This is from a wedding I did a few weeks ago. All right, and they have been to New Church Live. They may be even watching from Texas here today. And imagine all of a sudden they get the news that, yes, in life, actually, twins do run in the family. Surprise? <laughs> Folks, can you see with that where the shift from what I want to what we want more, do you think that will shift it a little bit? Absolutely will. Absolutely will. I think what we have to look at here, I think what we have to look at here is how are we going to, with the next slide, how are we going to elevate? How are we going to actually go through a time where the challenge is met, but it's met with elevation? What I want, what we want more. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those parts of what I want and I'm going to elevate them. Because I don't want to leave people with the perception that, that Christianity is a call to always be giving out. What happens if you're just giving out 24-7? Burnout, real simple. It's always this breathing, this respiration, spirit, breath, lead me. Back and forth and back and forth. It takes elevating that, like even something like rest. Like how do we elevate our need for rest so we see it as part and purpose of something bigger? And as the band comes out, I want you to think about this. As the band comes out, I want you to think about this. Sacrifice. As part of all this, can we come to understand the sacrifices that it takes to get to what we want more? It actually takes sacrifice. And all sacrifice is is this, and it's a great definition. Sacrifice is when I give up what I want for something that we want more. And sacrifice is this. The word itself means to make sacred. Where we're willing to make these sacrifices for this kind of community, for the kind of communities that Christ is talking about in here. Many, many blessings open. And we really do come back to understanding again and again that we are better together. So, so much, folks, part of this story is, is you know, the, the miracle, that the revelation is, the revolution is the elevation of the human soul. 
And something I, I think that we can look at today, and we just think that's normal, but, but that was so revolutionary for that time. So much something that Christ was about, that the Lord was trying to, to convey to us, that, that all souls, all souls are to be elevated. And that we get into trouble when we get this nagging little suspicion that some souls are worth less than others. I want to shift gears and and talk about like how we can do that together. Like what are real practical ways we can do that? Elevating one another's souls. So I'd ask you to give me a warm round of applause as we welcome Miriam and Rob up here on stage. So just so you folks know, before this, I had a, this is a coffee cup prop, so it can look like a talk show today. (laughs) So what I wanted to do was, was these two have been so deeply involved with small groups. I just wanted to give them a chance to just, just share some thoughts and, and I'm going to be guiding them with some questions and just be thinking about this and thinking about, yeah, you know, how does this work into elevating souls? How does this work in a very real grounded way? in terms of of building community, building what we're asked to build. So the first thing, I'm just going to ask each of you just to say your name and just like, hey, this is a little background of how long and been involved with small groups and just the background information. Hi, my name is Rob Nash. Uh, I've been in small groups for about 35 years. So uh, it's a lot of my life is what I do there, and I'm grateful for it. Hi, I'm Miriam Sinisbet. And probably 30 years, I've been involved with different ways, and Al-Anon in 12-step groups and churches and, you know, all kinds of different ways. And I guess I'm stuck for life. (laughs) (laughs) So these two know, you know, they know a great deal. They've got a lot of of background and history in this. And I want to come back to the question we have to answer at first, which is, you know, why do something like a small group, and I don't want you to hear this, like there's, there's, two, there's two kind of tracks, right? One track is to hear it like, oh, here comes the sales pitch, which is not what I want you to hear. I want you to hear the meaning of this. You know, why community matters, why small groups matter, why doing these kinds of things matters. Well, I can only speak for me. So I love small groups because I love people, but I'm an introvert. And so I would tend to isolate myself, especially when I'm going through a hard time. But even for joyful times, I find it hard to even be completely joyful. And so these places where people, I just want to be known, and I think that's a need we have. I don't know what list it's on up there, but I think we need to be known, you know, as, as our real selves. And so it gives me, I always come out feeling better than I went in, like, no matter what happens. And one example is I just remember um, when I was going through a really hard time and going to a small group and just, it was a time I needed to just share some hard stuff. And I came out and I thought, I would be, I've been heard and I also laughed and I hadn't laughed in a while. So. Mm-hmm. Can I stop you there for a minute? So could you just take a breath at that moment? And just, could you share just a little more? Like I came in and I was feeling this, and then some people shared, I had a chance to be heard. and Yeah, so I'll use the example of going through my divorce, and I was just kind of devastated and just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to do the best I could, 
And when I went to a small group and I could tell my story, and the people around me who I thought wouldn't understand or had never been through something like that, it turns out there's always at least two or three people who've been through almost exactly the same kind of thing, maybe in a different way or with different people. But I felt like validated in a way that I couldn't do in my own head. Uh, so uh, my experience has just been that uh, uh, part of my thing is that I'm selfish and self-centered, and I spend <laughs> most of my life there. So uh, I always used to think, oh, that was that was a terrible thing, and you know, I was condemned by God and all that sort of thing. And yet, when I started getting to small groups, and I would actually speak that, and at first it was hard to say that, you know, uh, that. Uh, I, that I was selfish and self-centered. I want all of you to believe that I'm rich and good-looking, but uh, <laughs> that doesn't work. So uh, I'm selfish and self-centered. And uh, But when I said that, I discovered that those people sitting around there with me would go, oh, yeah, it's like that for us. And it's that human connection that I get in small groups, that, that I get acknowledgement of, of whatever it is. And sometimes it's joy, you know. Uh, in our small groups, there's a lot of laughter uh, because that's you know we're we're all human beings on this rock and it's all kind of crazy and uh, so those are those are the reasons that that I do the small group stuff that I do and I enjoy it so much. Great, and, and I thought for this, let's give him a round of applause for those answers. That was really good. Thank you guys. So I. I well, the question I wanted to ask you folks, too, would just be to share, and I'll just give you a second to think of it, just share a, a story of healing that, that you've witnessed, you know? And, and it's, it's, I love the idea that, that there's curing and there's healing, and, and there's lots of situations in life that we're not going to cure, you know? We're not going to change that diagnosis in a small group or that thing in a small group, but, but that healing can be part of it. And I know certainly for me, many times I've seen, I've seen healing take place in, in small groups. And I wonder if each of you could just share a story where it's like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing healing in this situation or with, with that person. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, I was just thinking about a situation I was just involved with. The guy died, you know? I mean, uh, this, this, this man was... Uh, diagnosed with cancer in my small group and was gone within uh, three months. But what I saw was all of those people in the group that came around him and all the people that were there for him, you know, and there was a couple hundred people at his funeral service and that sort of thing. And when this guy, when Tom passed, he knew that there was an awful lot of people that loved him and how great that was. Wow, I, there's so many stories and I'm having trouble thinking of one, but my most dramatic story, I'll start with that, was um, we had a couple way back who came to small group and shared that they couldn't get pregnant and they had been through a lot of stuff and they gave up. And part of the, their journey in the group was accepting that and like being willing to go forward and, and that it was really hard for them to share that. And a year later, they 
they actually reached out to all of us and said that they were pregnant, and now they have two grown children, and so we always take credit for that in our small group. I can't, you know, say you'll get the same results, but um, but I've just seen countless lives changed, and you know, I without giving details, so many people come in in a place of devastation and feeling like they can't go on, and um, I a few months later, they're in a whole different place. And we know that that's the rhythm of life, but we forget when we're in it. We feel so like um, there's no hope and it gives everybody hope because other people have lived through it. Sometimes we even just get a, a resource or a listening ear or someone who can talk to us. And it's just, it's just life-changing. Oh, thank you. Thank you folks very much. Can we give them a warm round of applause, folks? Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Why looking at this idea of, of, of small groups and, and community and connection makes such a difference. Because I think we all want it. I really do believe that, that somehow we want this. And we want it because it's how we're made. We're made to connect with each other. In the same way that God made us to connect with him. With a lot of this connection, a Peace New Church theology talks a lot about is, is how much this connection needs to be organized around the idea of the common good, that we, that we do these things, we organize so that, so that we can serve a common good. A, a common good, folks, that's something beyond just my immediate needs. It's, it's that part where we can look out and we can see the world and we can see our responsibilities and our accountability well beyond just our own tribe, well beyond our own family. Back to that oneness, back to that elevation of human souls and the revolution that is that elevation. Here's some beautiful concepts around what this is like. A taste of heaven, a taste of the common good from New Church Theology. One is it means that we learn to provide for others. So we learn to take care of other people. We learn to focus mutually on one another's needs. And I love that mutuality where it's, where it's, it's like it's breaking down the idea of here's the caregiver and here's the care receiver. Because even that can get to be a little bit of a racket. It's the idea that we're here together to serve one another, to find those needs and serve there. And please say the you word there in a united voice. Unite. Unite. Unite in a way that weaves all the parts together to ensure the well-being for all, that weaves it all together to ensure the well-being of all. Now, we can do that in many, many different ways, but, but I want to tell you the kind of impact that this makes on people. The kind of impact when we do that, when we take that common good. Here's an example from New Church Live. We had a crew that went down and cooked at the, the Gift of Life uh, Transplant Center. That's where people wait to get transplants. Many of you have been down there. We go down, we serve food, and then we, and then we eat with the families. This wonderful crew went down there. And then I got this absolutely precious thank you card. Do you want to see it? Yeah. Yes, this is a great thank you card. Look at this. The food was so, so good, you will never understand how much it means to be Hans Miller. 
Is that good? That's really good. Really good. I want to talk about the significance of that kind of thing. I'm going to step forward a little bit here. We step in to this belief that we are here to serve the common good. This mutuality. The Hans Millers of the world. We add. God multiplies. We add. God multiplies. Please say it with me this time. We add. God multiplies. And what starts to happen, folks, and this is the miracle for me. This is the miracle for me. We step in as best we can. We overcome all that stuff that says, I deserve this, this, and this. And we give that up for what we actually, what you actually want more. And you know I'm speaking right to your souls right now. (laughs) What you actually want more. Which is connection, communication, community, service. We step into that and we start out there to to work at serving the common good. I mean, it's one of the things I think is a a tragedy as a history teacher. We never talk about the common good anymore. We never talk about the common good. That language is almost erased from our culture now. But the miracle is when we serve that common good, please listen carefully. It's a deliberate play on words. We're able to serve then and able to connect with the good that is common in all people. We step in and serve the common good. And what do we find there? We find the good that is common to all people. Could I get an amen? Amen. That's that elevation of souls. That's that revelation. That's that place going way back to Galatians and and, and Paul and what what he's saying and and Emmanuel Swedenborg talking about the church universal. It's it's, it's echoes throughout, throughout, throughout the world. And we have to take steps to do that. I love this quote, beautiful, beautiful quote from the book, And There Was Light. This was written by a Holocaust survivor. And what he was talking about was he, he, at the end of the Holocaust, he wrote this in the 60s, and he was thinking back to the people who went through the Holocaust, but somehow they managed to make it through intact, with their spirits intact, with their connection to God intact. And what he said is they asked nothing more for themselves individually, and so put everything in their reach. They asked nothing more for themselves individually, and so put everything in their reach. Can we flip back a couple of slides to that picture of the group? They asked nothing for themselves. And so they put everything in their reach. The common good, the good that is common to all people, the core of that we are better together. As we close this series, folks, put some thought into what does life look like when we do hold on to what I want because we all want rest and we all need rest, as well as putting thought and attention into what we want more, 
community, connection, purpose, service. I think that's such an important message because, again, like next week, it arrives, the fall. Hundreds of people in here. And what does it look like to live into that in our lives as a church? What does it look like to engage and be part of that in this church? What does it look like to invite someone to church? What does it look like to join a small group? What does it look like to go out to pizza with me right after church? What does it look like to serve for you? Start asking those questions. Start thinking about the elevation. And with a big smile, start thinking about the revolution that that can be in your lives, in your family, in your church, and in your community. Can we all close together with a big amen? Amen. Amen. So please join me now in prayer. I'm going to close today's service and close the series with a prayer. You have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have a moment of quiet reflection, or to just say your own particular prayer. So please join me. So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Thank you for that reminder as always that we are better together. That we are better together. Help us, Lord, to hear the echoes in our soul of what it looks like to elevate those things that we want and to sacrifice for those things that we want more. Community, connection, purpose, service. And stir in our hearts, Lord, the courage somewhere, maybe the courage to sign up in a small group, the courage to do whatever small step we can, to just move forward, knowing that as we do, your prayer comes true. As in heaven, as in heaven, so upon the earth, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Let that echo in our souls, Lord, this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 